Today's Bible reading will be from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 32. Romans chapter 1, 16 to 32. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous will live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeliness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to dishonorable passions, for their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also males abandoned the natural function of the female and burned in their desire towards one another, males with males committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their errors. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things which are not proper, having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the righteous requirements of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Thank you very much, Jody. Good morning, everyone, um, and welcome to Grace Church this morning, particularly if you um, are visiting or I see you for the first time. There, there's some who have been around maybe, but I haven't seen you yet. It's, um, it's a great pleasure and joy to welcome you. Uh, maybe before we start, I can ask Sam to close the doors, otherwise uh, it's going to be a bit of noise. Yeah, yeah. Just, thank you. Thank you very much. Now, if you can, please um, keep Romans 1 open. I, th I think Jeddy set us up really well, so he prepared us for um, a harsh sermon. I'm not sure it's going to be harsh, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be pretty straight um, about what we've read. So please do keep Romans 1 open. And let me begin by, um, by asking us a question, um, as I sometimes do, almost always do. What would your... Well, let's say, what would your non-Christian friends say um, the humanity's biggest problem is? What would they say? And what might be the solution to, you know, the perceived biggest problem? 
Well, some might say it's poverty, right? You know, it's shortage of resources, it's shortage of money um, across uh, the world and solution. Some will say it's socialism. Some will say, you know, sharing, simply sharing. Uh, others, others will say, well, the biggest problem, obviously, is disease. It's, it's AIDS, it's cancer, it's COVID, and, and solution, well, solution is, is simply miracle vaccine, miracle cure, better vaccine. Well, others, others will say it, it's, it's a disaster. Disasters are, are, are the biggest problems around. So Morocco earthquake, Libya floods, uh, you know, thousands of people dying. Uh, solution might be relief from the international community, more effective um, relief. And then again, others, others will say, well, it's injustice. Injustice is the biggest problem. Uh, racial, social inequality. And solution is, is better politics for equality across the board. So there'll be many, many ideas of, about what is the biggest problem and what are the solutions. Now, what would you, what would you as Christians say the humanity's biggest problem is? Now, we know the Bible's big answer to that is, of course, sin. Ultimately, behind poverty, disease, disaster, and injustice lies sin. It takes the form of greed, negligence, power hunger, pride, heartlessness, and many more. In fact, we have a long list of, of these at the end of our passage. Did you notice? Glance at verse 29. Here is the list of those things. Verse 29, unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, covetousness malice. They are full of envy, murder, strive, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderous, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now, as bad as it is, this list is actually only the consequence of sin. When Paul talks about sin in our passage, he puts his finger on the essence of it in the second half of verse 18. Look at the second half of verse 18. Sin is suppression of the truth about God. That is the essence of sin. Now, although sin is at the heart of what's wrong with humanity, there is even a bigger problem. According to Paul, humanity's biggest problem is in the first half of verse 18. Humanity's biggest problem is an angry God. I don't know whether you have a thought about this, uh, but let's look again at verse 18 and read it. For, Paul says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And what's really bad is there is no human solution to it. No collective effort or social politics, medicine, and humanitarian aid can deal with it. 
What's really good, though, is that verse 18 starts with for. Did you notice? For, which makes us look back. Turns out there is a cure, there is a vaccine, there is an antidote to our biggest problem. It is not provided by any humans, but one, Jesus. The solution to the wrath of God is found in the gospel of God carried by the Apostle Paul. Now, if you've been with us uh, for the past uh, two weeks, uh, you will remember. So let's quickly sort of recap. Uh, Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul carries in his palm the antidotes to sin, the gospel. The gospel about the risen King Jesus, our Lord. The gospel is his power to save all who believe. Well, the proclamation of the gospel, therefore, is Paul's obligation, and he wants the Romans, and indeed us, to share with him in this obligation to proclaim this gospel. Now, now the church in Rome, <clears throat> excuse me, is made up of these two groups of people, the majority of Gentiles and the minority of Jews. And they are tempted to look down at each other. Paul knows that this is the case, and he knows that his mission will be only successful if those two groups of people unite around the gospel. And that is why Paul is keen to establish that both Jews and Gentiles are equally lost before God and are declared right before God only by God's grace, grace, sorry, through faith in Jesus. Now, in other words, everyone needs the gospel, Jews and Gentiles, because of the wrath of God against all unrighteousness of man. And so, so my three points this morning, if, if it will help you to follow, are the following. The problem of an angry God is a problem because, point two, everyone is accountable. And it is seen, point three, in God giving up sinful people to their own sin. So the problem of an angry God, everyone is accountable, and God giving up sinful people to their own sin. So firstly, firstly, the problem of an angry God. I think, I think it's obvious that God is angry, so the wrath of God is revealed. So um, I really chose to sort of phrase my first point. Why is that a problem? The problem of an angry God. But again, do you feel, do you feel the tension there? Indeed, the hopelessly tragic situation, the whole humanity is in before God. Is that how, um, for example, our non-Christian friends would see it? Now imagine, imagine you are talking to your friends uh, or whatever, work colleagues, uh, about what's wrong with this world and the people in it. And in all honesty, your friends, they mention some of the things that are listed in verse 29 that we just read. But you know, you know about verse 18 because you've listened to the, the Roman sermon now. Uh, 
And you say, well, I think there is an even bigger problem. The wrath of God against it all. To which your friend replies, well, your God just should take, take it easy and just stop being angry. That's a very easy solution to it. Now, how would you respond? How would you respond? Well, isn't that good that you are here today and we can start to think about this together, right? Um, about your conversations with your friends next week. That's, um, that's a great um, time um, um, spent together. Now, why can't the problem of an angry God just be done away with it? Why can't God just take it all easy and let us be? Well, because he is God with the capital G. God cares about his reputation. He cares about his character. And he cares about his creation. That's why. You could say that the whole problem with humanity is just this. People, verse 21, do not honor God as God and do not give thanks to him. Instead, in their rebellion against God, as we already read in 18, they suppress the truth about him. And now because God is God with capital G, God of heaven and earth, not some local deity, his wrath is revealed from heaven. But not in a form of thunder or lightning, you know, as my grandmother used to tell me whenever there was a storm, you know, God is angry. Look at the thunder, look at the, you know, look at the lightning. Instead, I like how one commentator put it so well, what God's wrath from heaven being revealed means. Now here is, he says, the majesty of an angry God and his all-seeing eye and the wide extent of his wrath. Ready? Whatever is under heaven, yet not under the gospel, is under his wrath. Let me say it again. Whatever is under heaven and yet not under his gospel is under his wrath. Right, right, says your non-Christian friend. So what are you saying? What you're saying is that God is angry with me because I am somehow supposed to know that he exists and recognize him for it, and I don't. Is that what you're saying? If that's the case, then why doesn't he make himself known to me more clearly? Why? Well, this is pretty much what the, the famous British comedian Ricky Gervais, I don't know whether you've come across him, um, uh, Ricky Gervais implied in one of his interviews, Clark shouldn't sit on that one now, so, so. Um, one of his interviews. So here is, here is a slightly lengthy quote from Ricky um, Gervais. Religion's greatest trick wasn't convincing some people that there was a God who was all-powerful. It was convincing everyone else that, they, that, that you couldn't ridicule the idea. Now, what I want about, by the way, uh, about Ricky Gervais is his kind of stand for the freedom of speech. But of course, in his comedy shows, he kind of really takes it across the line. <laughs> 
But he's right on that. You can't, you can actually joke about everything. It's part of the freedom of speech. But ethically, of course, he takes it across the line. Now, he continues, I think it is very important you challenge your own beliefs. That's what science does. It doesn't constantly try and prove itself right. It follows the evidence, Ricky says. Whatever it is, I am not a closed-minded atheist. What a strange thing to say. I am always going to follow the evidence. If someone proved me God existed, I would believe him, concludes Ricky Gervais. In other words, he, as well as our non-Christian believing friends, raised the modern objection, and it is, I'm neutral. I am neutral. I mind my own business. Yes, I don't go to church, but neither I murder people. In fact, I don't hurt any people at all. What a wonderful self-assessment, isn't it? <laughs> you know? For all I know, there might be some higher power. But if you're saying that there is a personal God who has a personal claim on me, and I don't recognize him, and that's why he's angry with me, or he's just, it's just too far, in other words, the problem of an angry God is not really a problem because ex his existence is problematic. Well, only it isn't, Ricky and others. Your ignorance is problematic because it doesn't get you off the hook. The creator God holds you accountable because you actually know about him. So that's my kind of second point. Everyone's accountable because God is knowable. So why is everyone's accountable? See, God is not hiding, but God has revealed himself in his creation. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. You see, I am neutral just doesn't work in his excuse. At least not before God's wrath that's revealed from heaven. Because heaven and earth bear witness to his eternal power and divine nature. Now what Paul is saying is that all human beings on the face of the earth, without exception, have some knowledge of God. God has made himself known in his creation everywhere so as people uh, you know as people climb the Wetterstein mountain in Bavaria we have some German friends or sit at the feet of the mighty fjords in Norway or walk down the was a Nubra Valley in Ladakh is that the right name Nisi India or sit on the great Chinese wall and look around 
Everyone should acknowledge the Creator God. Indeed, everyone who wakes up in the morning and sees the sky and the trees should confess that there is an eternally powerful and divine Creator God. Living in the basement is not an excuse at all. It's entirely your choice. Now, this, to be fair, this knowledge of Creator God doesn't save, yes. It doesn't save. But what this knowledge does is it makes people culpable, meaning God's self-revelation in creation is enough to seek to honor God. And not doing makes people personally guilty before God. So this knowledge, general knowledge, doesn't save, but it definitely doesn't get you off the hook. And so Paul says in verse 20, second half of the verse 20, so they are without excuse. There's no such thing as being neutral in this world. Neutrality is a myth, and it defeats itself. Here's the thing. No, Ricky, and no others, you wouldn't believe God um, and you wouldn't honor God even if he had written with his own finger in the sky, I exist, God. Because you already have all the necessary evidence around you every day, but you nevertheless suppress the truth about him every day. Humans suppress the truth about God, that God is God. They say they, that you know, there could be a higher power, there could be a God, or there could be many gods, who knows? But a personal creator God who has an exclusive claim on my life, it is a bit too much. There's, there's just not, you know, no evidence for it. But because there is, let me quickly summarize. Before, because there is evidence, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, and all are without excuse. Humanity's biggest problem is an angry God. Now, how is, how is the wrath of God against the sinful humanity revealed? Uh, by the way, there is, uh, th this is where we sort of jump off the dialogue with our non-Christian non friends, sort of imaginary friends, at least for a bit, okay? Um, we Christians, we Christians tend to think about God's wrath either in terms of past or future. You know, we, we know God has been visibly angry with Israel's disobedience and, you know, the Gentile rulers' uh, rebellion in the Old Testament times. You know, we have a lot of evidence in the Old Testament of an angry God. And we know that God's wrath is stored up for the, the great judgment day that is yet to come. But to our surprise, in our passage, Paul views the wrath of God in the present. Did you notice? Glance again at our key verse, verse 18. For, Paul says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So, what, so how is God's wrath against the sinful humanity 
revealed in the present. Here's my third point. God gives the sinful humankind over to their sin, to their own sin. That's how it is revealed in the present time. The devastating consequences of the human rebellion against God. At the heart of human condition, Paul says, and he says it as a skillful doctor, he diagnoses it. At the heart of it is a terrible, terrible exchange. Uh, Paul gives three examples of how people suppress the truth about God. You know, these three exchanges, I don't know whether you notice them. And then he shows what God does about it. He gives people over to whatever they prefer to be doing. Well, see if you can follow me in your Bibles. Um, Glance at verse 21 onwards. Firstly, people exchange the truth of God for idols. And then in a consequence, I think verse 24, God gives them up. And then 25, people exchange the truth of God for a lie. Again, what's the consequence? God gives them up. And finally, verse 26b, I think, Paul exchange, uh, people, sorry, exchange natural sexual practices for unnatural. And, and what's the consequence? God, again, God gives them up. And I, I think we're meant to recognize the, the, you know, this happening around us all the time. As we see people living and making use of God's world without any reference to God, it should sadden us. And as we see people pursuing gain as their God, we should weep over it. And as we see people exploiting each other for personal gratification, it should deeply unsettle us. We are meant to see how devastating the human rebellion against God are, the consequences. But at the same time, we should recognize that it all is part of God's just anger being revealed in the present life of people. Do you you hear that? No matter how painful, unjust, sad, tragic, what happens around is we are meant to recognize that in it is God's present judgment on human rebellion. Firstly, people exchange the truth about God for idols. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they become, became fools and exchanged the glory of God for the, uh, of, of immortal God, sorry, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The glory of God is the outward shining of his invisible being. But human beings were meant to shine as God-like figures. Remember in Genesis, we, we are created in the image of God. When we look at each other, we are meant to say, Ha, now I can see what God is like. Well, the reason we lack this glory 
goes back to Genesis 3 and the fall in sin. It is because by our fallen nature, we direct our affections and energies, not upward, not to our creator God, but downwards to other created people, projects, or principles, and all of which are idols. These are idols, my friends. The people start to worship sex and bodies. They, uh, we, we start to seek our identity in value in our, uh, and value in our work or career. We think our salvation is in our moral principles, what we do or what we don't do. And the consequence of that is tragic. We no longer, glance at verse 21, we no longer think straight. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. But there's something even worse. And that's God's reaction to it. The wrath of God is revealed in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Now, in, in real life, in a real life, it looks like this. Someone says, above all, I value my freedom and the happiness that living how I like brings. And God says, well, no problems, no problems. Here we go. Live your autonomous, self-pleasing and self-gratifying life. No problem. Well, that is how God giving over people to their own passions looks like. I, th this became to me very obvious this week as I stumbled upon this podcast. It is a newly created podcast in Latvian national radio. Sorry, you maybe can't relate to it because of the language, but you will relate to it because of the, the topic. The, the podcast is called Normal Family. Uh, the episode I listened to involved three people, a woman, her ex-husband, who she is in open relationships with, and her ex-husband on, on the left, or probably on the, on the right, as I remember it, who is not in open relationships, but nevertheless is part of this extended family. Yes, if you struggle following it already, I did. Yeah, I really did struggle following it already. Anyways, open relationships means that spouses have agreed that in their marriage, they are allowed to not only see other people, but you know, have sex with them if they like. Um, crazy. And as I listen to all this kind of, all these nonsense reasons for choosing this family model, I felt a great mix of emotions. Th this worship of a modern self caused me to be annoyed, sad, angry, sarcastic, downcast. When I'm actually seriously considering writing a uh, kind of response article to um, the news about this podcast, to, uh, because of my Latvian friends, I I'm not sure I'm going to actually accomplish it, but that's my kind of real desire. Because the podcast uses the, all these emotional arguments to plant this 
essentially evil seed in people's hearts that, you know, that the most important thing in life is me. Is I what I want and how others exist for my sake to make me happy and fulfilled. How devastating it is. Yet, yet at the same time, as I was listening to this podcast, I had to realize that these three people ending up in this mess is also the work of God. You know, this abnormal family is a visible demonstration of the wrath of God being revealed from heaven in the present time against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. You want to be autonomous and free to sleep with whomever you want, uh, have open relationships, uh, your husband and ex-husband on each side. Fine. Here we go. Do it. Verse 24, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. I'm going to really run through the... Uh, those are two examples, um, which really essentially are the same. More briefly, same goes for, for, for the verse 25. People exchange the truth for, um, of God for a lie. And, and we see God again gives them up. As people reject the truth about God, God gives over them to the dishonorable passions. Because they don't worship the creator God hands them over to worship the created things, essentially the same. We're meant to see how devastating this really downward spiral is. And verse 26b, people exchange the natural sexual desire practices for the unnatural. The result, God gives them up. And so Paul, Paul focuses, Paul highlights the, the homosexual practice here. But I think why Paul picks up and, and sort of puts the homosexual lifestyle and practice um, as an example is not because it's a greater sin. So sometimes people say, well, well, that makes, you know, the homosexual practice are really the, the sin of sins, you know, greatest sin. No. On so many occasions, I've heard this passage being used by preachers to sort of bash, you know, homosexuals as the greatest ultimate sort of sinners. And I just disagree. I have many things to say on this subject. In fact, I've done it already in a series on sexuality. So please ask me for the link and I might, I might just post the, the, the series link on, on, this, on this whole subject. That's why I'm not going to really go into detail about that. The reason Paul singles out homosexual relations is because it's the clearest example of rejection of God's created order. Do you remember? He created the male and female Genesis, uh, right? And he said to them, therefore, male and female, be fruitful and multiply. I mean, it's, it's natural, right? And... Paul focuses now on the homosexual relation as kind of the really throwing and, and putting the upside down God's created order, creation order. 
and their debased mind, Paul highlights as the result of God's anger being revealed against them at the present time. And thus the list starting from verse 29 is a clear display of where the debased mind leads people. Now again, if you, if you look at that list, verse 29 onwards, if you look at that list, um, when I take a look at that list, I recognize the sins that you know, Christians can easily fall into. Just some of those sins, gossip, boastfulness, slander, greed, and many more. But that's not really the point of this passage, and I'm not going to really expand on kind of, you know, Christian dangers of falling into their sins. Um, we'll think about some of that next week more. You know, because there is a big difference between Christians fighting these things, or rather the consequences of a sin, suppressing the truth about God. And those people in verse 32, look at the verse 32. There's a people who practice those things and give approval to those who practice them. There's a big difference between Christians who fight the sin and the people of verse 32. So again, in a summary, what is then the point of our passage? And the point is that the God of the Bible is angry with sinners. Because they know the Creator God, but don't honor Him in their lives. And that makes them guilty before God. And God's present anger is seen in giving sinners over to their own sin. That's the point of this passage. Now, given that, how might we, though, apply this? Because I believe the kind of primary application here really is not to the, the, the Christian living itself, because I think when Romans read it, they're supposed to read it retrospectively. So how might we apply this passage to us? And I, I suggest two lines. Firstly, we should answer the question, why do Romans and indeed us need to know about the wrath of God? Why? And I suggest we need this in order to remember what God has saved us from through Jesus. You know, the futile thinking, the darkened hearts, the lust, the impurity. We need to remember how he did it. Not through our wisdom, not through our hard work. God saved us through his precious and powerful gospel through faith in the risen King Jesus, who is Christ our Lord. We belong to Jesus and are loved by God, as Paul started in the first half of chapter 1. We need to remember that we belong to Jesus and we are loved by God. The saving gospel will be precious to us only when we fully realize how devastating the wrath of God is. That's why we need to know about the present wrath of God so that the gospel would become increasingly more beautiful and precious and powerful in our lives.
And so it should motivate us to tell the gospel to all. So the second, second line of application is, is how does it impact the way we present people with the gospel? Now, I, I have often heard Christians use these almost magic words in evangelism. And the words are, God loves you. I can sympathize with that. Indeed, the good news is that God so loved Andis, Robert, Travis, Max, and so on, that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It is true. The problem so often is that God's love in sending Jesus to die is not appreciated until the reality of perishing kicks in. So again, friends, how do we think about presenting the gospel to people in light of Romans 1? So maybe instead of saying God loves you, we should say God is angry with you, my friend. You know, I'm slightly caricaturing it. You never kind of, you know, just pull out of context and say one thing and just leave. If you say kind of God is angry with you and just buy, <laughs> you know, it's wrong. It's totally wrong. But then you follow up, then you kind of put the big picture before your friends. God is angry with you because you willfully rebel against him. Let's look around together. What do you see? Do you see the sky? Do you see the trees? Where do you think they come from? Oh, evolution, right. And then you kind of continue talking. And then you say, how are you doing? How have you been doing this week? And he says, well, actually, terribly. You say, right, you're right. Your life bears actually the fruit of God's wrath because you, re you reject him. I know it's really, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it creates a real tension in your heart because we want to say simply God loves you. And that's true. But what about the full picture? And then we say, so he, because, because God is angry with your sinful rebel against him and because you actually suffer in this life, because of it, he is the only one who can turn it around. He is the only one. Stop trying. Stop, you know, making yourself better. Ask him to help you. Trust him. Trust his son. Anyways, I'm not giving you a full answer, but just the lines of application. We need to know about God's wrath to remember what we have been rescued from. And we really need to know this reality of God's judgment to be able to be more effective gospel communicators to our non-Christian friends. So let me leave you um, with it um, um, this day. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we, we know that there are many, so many things that are wrong with this world and people in it. We uh, recognize the poverty, disease, disaster, injustice, and so many other things. But we know from today that all of these things are just a consequence of sin. Sin that lies at the heart of every single human being and therefore 
the wrath of God is revealed against it. So Father, we confess that even we have once suppressed the truth about you, that you are God, creator God of heaven and earth. And so we were rightfully under your judgment. But Father, thank you for bringing us under the gospel. Thank you for powerfully working in our lives through your gospel and promising us the ultimate salvation of our bodies when Jesus comes back. So, Father, as we still recognize the, the consequences of devastating wrath at the present sin, Father, please, please equip us, equip us to be better evangelists. Help us to appreciate the gospel more and more as your power and beauty and help us to speak to people honestly and clearly about the, the present reality of an angry God and why it is a problem. We ask those things, those things in Jesus' name. Amen.